Here we are already two weeks into 2006. What will you accomplish in 2006? Two weeks ago, here in Sabbath services, we saw Mr. Meredith's telecast, 2006 and Prophecy. We can understand world events in the light of Bible prophecy. We understand God's plan for our Western nations and for the world. And we understand Christ's mission for the church. And we understand our part as team members in accomplishing that mission. Turn to Revelation, the third chapter, the section with which you're very familiar. Revelation, the third chapter. We have a description of the Philadelphians. And to the angel of the church, verse 7, in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts. And we have been blessed this past year, 2005, with many open doors. And we anticipate more open doors in 2006. And shuts. And we've had some stations that were closed. Of course, when Katrina hit New Orleans, we had one of our television stations basically put off the air. But now one is back in service again. And shuts, and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, God has given us an awesome mission. How can we perform that if we have only a little strength? He does say that because we have kept the word of his patience, he will keep us from the hour of temptation or trial, from the great tribulation that's going to come upon all the earth. He says in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast that you have that no man takes your crown. So God has given us instructions to hold fast. And he's giving us opportunities to fulfill the mission with which he's given us. But how can we do that? We discussed God's power a couple weeks ago. And when we trust in God's power and not in our own power, then we accomplish his work and his will. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's Philippians 4.13. It's becoming one of my more favorite verses now. And uh, you may hear me uh, quote it more often. Well, this week I'd like to continue discussing God's power. And in essence, this will be part two of Trust God's Power. But the title of this sermon is God's Guidance in 2006. God's Guidance in 2006. Every year around this time, the world makes resolutions in January. During the Days of Unleavened Bread, God's people make specific resolutions or commitments to change their lives, or they should. The Charlotte Observer noted on December 31st of this year the types of resolutions that individuals are making. And this was a list that came from the AARP Bulletin. That's the American Association of Retired People, uh, now available to those who are 50 and older and seemingly going lower as time goes on. But here are, in answer to the question, what is your New Year's resolution? Uh, These were for people over 50. Number one was to lose weight. Now, Mr. Meredith has encouraged me to exercise more regularly, and I have been encouraged the last two times that I weighed myself. I have lost 
four-tenths of a pound each time I weighed myself the last two times. Now, you just multiply that out over the year. I'll be down to nothing, you know. It'll be. <clears throat> but that's the number one resolution for people over 40. Number two, devote more time to religious work and study. There's a tie for three places. Be a nicer person, eat healthy foods, enjoy life more. So a tie for six, and there are four of these. Save more money. Quit a bad habit like smoking or exercise and then spend more time with friends. And number 10 was get a new job. For people under 50, these are the same descriptors. Number one, quit a bad habit like smoking. Number two, lose weight. Number three, save more money. Number four, with a tie, devote more time to religious work and study. Get a new job, exercise. Then seven, uh, be a nicer person, seven, eat healthy foods is all a tie, enjoy life more, and go back to school. So as we look ahead to 2006, what will you accomplish this year? Let's turn to Second Peter 3, verse 18. Again, a scripture with which you're very familiar. Second Peter 3, and verse 18. Christ gives us an instruction what we should be accomplishing daily, monthly, yearly, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to grow spiritually. How are we going to do that? Dr. Winnale wrote in The World Ahead, December 29th, titled Year End Evaluations and Plans. For most organizations, winding up another calendar year is a time for year-end reports assessing problems and accomplishments of the past 12 months and mapping out plans for the coming year. If you are really serious about growing, overcoming, and bearing spiritual fruit, we can benefit by using these same procedures in our own lives. In the coming week, it might be very helpful to spend some time reflecting on your actions and activities of the past year. Have you taken the time? Just think about your activities, actions, problems, how God helped you, what you had to do, some of the crises you experienced the past year, and what the church experienced. We mentioned some of those a couple weeks ago. Make a list of what you have accomplished, writes Dr. Douglas Winnale, and what problems you have had to deal with, and what lessons you have learned. Again, I've already started my uh, new week at a glance. I think most of you know I write down my lessons. And already I have down here lesson 0601. <laughs> should I or should I, should I or should I not share it with you? I don't know. <laughs> I think I'll share it with you. It's an embarrassing one, and it also puts me in kind of a delicate position, too. <laughs> 0601 lesson was, always end early. And that means sermons and other lectures. <clears throat> so we'll see if I can fulfill that lesson today. Mm, that's a difficult one. 
So uh, Dr. Winnale writes, then make a good uh, list of goals that you would like to accomplish and challenges that you need to overcome. Study the Bible to find out what God has to say about the goals and challenges you have to face. Psalm 119, 105. So those are good exhortations, and we need to examine, to review. I don't know if you've taken the time to look over your past year. Something that helps, of course, is to take a look at a calendar and see where have I been, where have I gone. You've enjoyed the Feast of Tabernacles, and you've had other challenges, you've had other successes, some joy and some you know, pleasure, as well as some pain. But we should know our personal weaknesses. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not know, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you be disqualified or unless you be reprobates, as it is in the King James? So we should know ourselves. Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know what you want to overcome this year? Do you know what you want to grow in? One of the ways of growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ as a practical approach is to plan ahead. Turn back to Proverbs 21. Proverbs, the 21st chapter. God actually gives us a calendar to help us to plan ahead. In fact, I hope all of you do have, if you uh, do not, have one of these wallet-sized calendars. We did mail them out to all of the members but if you do not have one of these calendars with God's annual holy days, all the dates, this one is from 2005 to 2014. So God wants us to plan ahead. He gives us his own yearly festival calendar, and so I hope that you'll be able to do that. Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Are you planning ahead? You're planning ahead financially? Are you planning ahead physically, socially? Are you planning for the festival year? God helps us to plan ahead with his annual calendar. And the Passover this year will be held here in Charlotte and, of course, around the world, but uh, right here in Charlotte will be Tuesday, April 11th, and normally we would be meeting about 8 o'clock in the evening. And that's just 87 days away. Mr. Meredith has already planned his uh, travels to visit churches during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Have you made your plans? We also plan for Pentecost and for the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Parents and students have to be keenly aware of the academic year and uh, make plans accordingly. Are you saving your festival tithe? so that you will be able to go to the feast this year. Let's turn again to uh, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathers by labor shall increase. So as you tithe, you're putting money aside, that is for your festival tithe, every week or every month, whatever it may be, businessmen and uh, farmers sometimes have to do it near the end of the year. Uh, they have to plan accordingly because they don't have a regular wage that is coming in weekly or biweekly. But tithing teaches us sound budgeting, and we need to do our part. You know Malachi 3, but let's take a look at it again. Malachi 3. 
So God will help us to grow this year as we do our part. Malachi 3 talks about tithing. And a whole nation is indicted by God, is going to be judged by God because of its robbing God. Malachi 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So God is going to judge the nations, and particularly those who uh, claim to be Christian, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith. Test me, God says, says the Eternal of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, God does pour out blessings, and we may not even appreciate it or recognize it when we realize, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, 11 million people are on the brink of starvation in Ethiopia and in Djibouti, Somalia, and Kenya, and yet we take all the blessings that we have for granted. And God has poured out the windows of heaven upon us. Now, you can't be a thief, a robber, even if you're tithing and expect to be blessed. You must be keeping all of God's commandments. But nonetheless, God promises that he will pour out those blessings upon us. And we are very thankful for the members and co-workers who have supported God's work this past year. As we just heard in the announcements, we very much appreciate the increase that God gave us. And God does give the increase. But he does it through the faithfulness of the brethren and co-workers and the, those who are donors as well. But as you plan ahead for 2006, we need to ask for God's guidance. And again, these are fundamental scriptures, but they're very powerful scriptures. Proverbs, the third chapter, Proverbs 3. At the Living Youth Camp this uh, summer, we had uh, a dance and uh, table topics. And one of the questions that was asked during table topics was, what is your favorite scripture? And uh, one of the teen girls uh, cited this one, and she quoted it, you know, from heart. Uh, from memory, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Now, sometimes things don't go your way, but God has a purpose. There are circumstances that may derail you from what you want in your life, and yet God has a purpose in letting you learn a lesson, or he wants you to give, learn some other new experience so that you can grow so we may not always understand where God is heading and leading us. Job certainly didn't understand uh, what God was doing, but finally he did understand. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, are you acknowledging God in all your ways? Or do you just, you know, it's like the uh, Protestant church where you have the offering on Sunday and, and you put in your ten cents or you put in your dollar bill and, and you think, okay, I've done my religious duty for the week. Uh, God's people are not that way. God's people realize that they must be instant in prayer. They need to pray without ceasing. That they may talk to God just instantly at any moment. Uh, particularly when someone drives a car in front of you and you say help. And you uh, offer a very quick prayer for protection. 
But God's people cry out to, to God day and night, and they recognize him and acknowledge him, and he promises, he shall direct your paths. I know years ago at Ambassador College, some of the students said, well, I, I want to do God's will. Should I go to the summer educational program, or should I go to a job I have offered in New York, or should I go to um, some uh, the Thai, Thai program and, uh, in Thailand? And uh, I want to do God's will. Well, any one of those three could have been God's will. God often gives us choices so that we can enjoy the opportunities he gives us. But we acknowledge him in all our ways, and he shall direct our paths. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in The Seven Laws of Success, The Seventh Law of Success. And we have a sermon on that. It's in our sermon library. On page 16 of The Seven Laws of Success, Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote, Quote, in actual fact, the very first thing everyone needs is the guidance and help of God. Somehow men of otherwise intelligent minds are too stupid to know that. The all-important seventh law is having contact with and the guidance and continuous help of God. So we are weak human beings, and we know that we need help. We need spiritual power. At least we know that. Uh, some, as Mr. Armstrong said, are so stupid, they don't know that. They're arrogant and they're vain, and they pay the penalty for that arrogance and vanity. But how does God's power manifest itself? We need that spiritual power. God's power is so great, and we read this a couple weeks ago, but let's review it here in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Matthew 16. God's power is so great that not even the gates of the grave can prevail against his church. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Nothing is going to present, prevent Jesus from building his church. It's his very body, and we are members in particular. And the gates of Hades, the gates of the grave, shall not prevail against it. God rules supreme. I saw last time in Revelation 19, verse 7, where the woman makes herself ready. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And we look forward to that day when that great hallelujah will be proclaimed. We are making ourselves ready, but it's through the power of Christ. We examined various kinds of power last time. One was military power. You saw that U.S. nuclear forces in 2006 have stockpiled almost 10,000 nuclear weapons. And that's from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, the January-February 2006 issue. And how much power is in a nuclear warhead? One hydrogen bomb, and of course, we saw the... Uh, the video of the uh, atomic bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the movie and the uh, video last uh, two weeks ago, uh, Mr. Meredith's program. One hydrogen bomb has 1,500 times the power of an atomic bomb. But we have to ask, will those nuclear nations, the United States and Russia have uh, great power, will they actually detonate those weapons of mass destruction? I won't turn there, but we read uh, Revelation 9, verse 15, where military power of the sixth trumpet 
will kill a third of all humanity. And where population is continually increasing, it's up to 6.3 billion. The United States, according to uh, a report I just read yesterday, uh, will reach a population of 300 million in October. And their uh, Life magazine and others are making uh, arrangements already to find who is that 300 millionth baby uh, that will be born at that time. We saw that not only is there great power in nuclear forces in the world, but there is also information technology power. And the greatest, most powerful computer is called Blue Gene. Blue Gene forward slash the letter L. I presume the L is for uh, Livermore. But it, will, it consists of 130,000 processor systems, and it will have a peak or does have a peak performance of 360 teraflops, according to IBM. And we thought that it was amazing when we had a, a gigaflop. And uh, now we have a teraflop, which is one trillion calculations per second. Now, we need to in keep increasing that because one trillion calculations a second is pretty slow. We need to increase it to <laughs> 360 trillion calculations per second. And that's blue gene. There, are there's, there is power in information technology. We also saw that there is governmental power and that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way, the painful way of being like a beast for seven years. He was humbled by God because he didn't humble himself. He had the arrogance to say, look at this great Babylon that I have built. And then right then, the voice came from heaven saying, your kingdom is removed from you. God was kind enough to restore him after those seven years where he just ate grass and he became, came back into his majesty, and he publicized to his whole empire a lesson that the kings and the queens and the presidents and the magistrates and rulers of this world should know. And I mentioned that in the telecast that's on this weekend. And that lesson is here, Daniel 4.17. I'll just read it. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most holy rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men. That's the King James Version or the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that God put him in power. And he publicized that lesson to a whole empire. It was a dear lesson. It was a hard lesson. Do we have to learn lessons the hard way? But the point is that God has given governmental power to nations. He sets up kings and he takes them down. And sometimes he places the basest or the lowliest of men over nations and puts them in positions of power. But we have to always remember that God is in power. He is in charge, and he controls the destinies of nations. As Mr. Meredith wrote in his booklet, How God Intervenes in World Affairs, quote, Yes, God controls the destinies of nations and individuals, end of quote. There is also power in nature. Let's turn back to Psalm 18, verse 13. And God has been using that dimension, as we've seen in the past couple years. Psalm 18 and verse 13, 
The world thinks that what happens is just a matter of nature, or perhaps, and yes, man does contribute to pollution. Mankind does contribute to um, those elements that affect the weather. Psalm 18, but God overall uses greater power than what human beings can affect. Psalm 18, verse 13. The Eternal also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yes, He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at your rebuke, O Eternal, at the blast of your nostrils, or the breath of your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of the many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. Oh, God uses weather, the elements of weather. He uses winter storms. And God can easily shut down and nullify man's power, as uh, happened recently. Bloomberg reported that Japan had its heaviest snow in 122 years. The headline is, Japan's heaviest snow in 122 years disrupts flights and power. December 22nd. Parts of Japan had the heaviest snowfall in 122 years as a cold air mass moved over the country and disrupted flights and power supplies. So again, uh, the uh, electric power was just cut off. Let's turn to Psalm 105 and verse 31. Well, maybe that was just a natural course. Well, was it? The greatest snow in 122 years. Psalm 105 and verse 31. God can use insects as well to either judge or deliver. Psalm 105 verse 30. We read last time to show God's power of creation. This is, I'm sorry, looking at Psalm 104, but while, we're, while I'm in Psalm 104, I'll read that. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. That's Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 105, and verse 30. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of the kings. He's talking about the plagues of Egypt. He spoke, and there came diverse sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their lands. He smoked their vines and their fig trees and broke their trees of their coasts. He spoke, God spoke, and locusts came, and caterpillars, and that without number, and did eat up all the herbs of the land and devoured the fruit of the ground. Well, God has power in nature. God has power in the weather. As we pointed out last time, the tsunami itself was 350 times more powerful than the atomic bomb. And the, the earthquake that caused the tsunami had the power, according to Dr. Negi, and this was the India Times, January 7th, 2005, the earthquake itself of Sumatra, which caused the tsunami, had the power of 32,000 hydrogen bombs. So we think that man has power, God has even more power. We saw last time that God has power in history, 
and dealing with nations. King Hezekiah pleaded with God to protect and deliver Judah, Jerusalem. And so when the Assyrians had besieged Jerusalem, what happened? In 2 Kings, I won't turn there, but we described it last time, 2 Kings 19, God sent an angel that killed 185,000 Assyrians. And when they woke up in the morning, they were all dead men. That's the King James Version. <laughs> New King James Version says, when they woke up, there were the dead, there were the dead corpses. So anyway, it makes it a little more understandable in the New King James. But 185,000 were killed. And then Dunkirk in May 1940, after the Nazi blitzkrieg had overrun Western Europe, including Belgium and Luxembourg and Holland and France, and there were the 335,000 British Expeditionary Force troops trapped in Dunkirk. And, of course, King George VI requested a national day of prayer, which was held on May 26th. And then following that came the miracle of the calm seas or the miracle of Dunkirk. And Mr. Meredith refers to that in the booklet, How God Intervenes in World Affairs. And people in England and the soldiers themselves felt that it was divine intervention that prevented the Luftwaffe from destroying them. That was one of Hitler's blunders. Instead of allowing his tank commanders to go forward, he said he wanted the glory to go to the Air Force. And uh, clouds came over and prevented that, prevented the Luftwaffe from destroying the troops. And then this very calm sea, which this rarely come, enabled all the fishing vessels and boats from England to come over and to take the uh, British troops safely back to England. I read last time the, the story of the White Cavalry from We Have a Guardian, and where in the First World War at Bethune, the British were all trapped again, and the Germans were about to attack when the Germans started firing on this empty hill, according to the testimony of the soldiers. And there was nothing there. Why would they fire at an empty hill? The British didn't see anything. But in the testimony given by the soldiers, they saw a cavalry, and that is, the Germans saw the white cavalry coming, and it was unaffected by the machine gun bullets, by the artillery, it just kept coming, and they were frightened and, and ran. Just a very inspiring story. Some uh, say, well, it may be an urban legend, but at least there were testimonies that that did happen. Well, God's spiritual power is great. He can intervene in nations. He intervenes in the weather, and he can intervene in your personal life. Let's turn again to 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Very important verse because it has to do with our very life, our very spiritual life. The Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy how he received the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, 2 Timothy 1, Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. When was the last time you stirred up the gift of God in you? Think about it. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
or of discipline, as some of the other translations have it. NIV, self-discipline, NASB, discipline, RSV, self-control. So God has not given us a timid spirit, writes Moffat, translation, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. So God has given us that gift. Now, God also promises that he will answer our prayers if we pray according to his will. He wants us to be filled with his spirit. That's Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So God will answer your prayer. He'll answer my prayer if we ask him to make sure that we are filled with his spirit. When was the last time or when was, did you last ask God to fill you with his spirit? And we have the wonderful promise in Romans 5.5. 5. Let's turn back there, Romans 5 and verse 5, which again is a, one of my many hundreds of favorite scriptures. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given to us. So God is giving us His power. We've seen just how great His power is. That the Sumatra earthquake was had more power than 32,000 hydrogen bombs. God has given us His Spirit. And it's a Spirit which generates divine love as it flows out from us. I'm going to give you more of the elements of God's spiritual power because we need that power. We need to trust in that power. This is by way of review. Spirit, it is the spirit of begettal. The God's spirit has begotten us as his own sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the Almighty. The Second Corinthians 6.18, that we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. So God has given us the spirit of begettal. There's that's James 1.17, of his own will he begat us with the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. It is also the spirit of creation. God's spirit, we already read in Psalm 104, verse 30, that by his spirit, he renewed the face of the earth. Let's turn to Job 38. You had a Bible study this morning on Job. But one of the big lessons Job had to learn, in addition to overcoming his self-righteousness, was recognizing the greatness of God. And you'll be sure to uh, listen to the sermons by Mr. Charles Bryce on that subject, the greatness of God. That's uh, Numbers 337 and uh, 338 in your sermon library. The Greatness of God, a two-part sermon by Mr. Charles Bryce. Then the Eternal answered Job out of the whirlwind. Job chapter 38. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your, now your loins like a man, and I will demand of you and answer you me. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, declare if you have understanding. Well, if God asked you that, you know, I mean, you'd think the breath would just dissipate from your lungs and you'd, you'd just be frightened to death. 
uh, Job wasn't around. I appreciated Mr. Bryce's comment that God did not need Job's help in creating the universe. And he didn't need your help, and he didn't need my help in creating the universe either. So it is the spirit of creation. We read in Genesis 1 and verse 2, the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Or as the New King James, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God's power is the power of creation. Romans 1 verse 20. Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God's power is clearly seen in the creation. And all humanity is responsible for recognizing God as the creation. They are without excuse. Many of American patriots recognized God. And even to this day in the American currency, United States currency, we have in, on our coins and on our paper money, in God we trust. Mr. Herbert Armstrong said one time, trust in God is the very foundation of godly character. So we have to examine ourselves in 2006 and see, do we, do we nationally and individually have that depth of faith? Do we have that trust? There's a political cartoon uh, some of you probably have seen. It shows the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is known as a very liberal court uh, in the West, the West Coast, and uh, shows uh, the three judges looking at uh, one of the uh, issues, and it says, Pledge of Allegiance Unconstitutional. So one of the court bailiffs uh, comes and says to the judges, he just whispers, The payroll arrives, sir, but don't worry. I sent it back. All the bills had, in God we trust, on them. So <laughs> that's it. Uh, wouldn't this be a wonderful paycheck? Payback is the title of the political cartoon. They want to do away with the Pledge of Allegiance because it says one nation under God. They want to get rid of that. And so that's under, un, un, non, unconstitutional. Well, they shouldn't take paper currency that hasn't God we trust either. It's the idea. But God's power sustains and upholds the universe. Hebrews 11. I'm sorry, Hebrews 1. Christ sustains the universe. Hebrews 1. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, Hebrews 1. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. That's the kind of power your Savior has. As the King James says, upholding all things by the word of his power. New King James, uh, that's the RSV, I'm sorry, I was reading, upholding the universe by the word of his power. 
When he had made purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. So that gives you a little idea of the power of Christ, that he sustains, maintains the universe by the word of his power. Isaiah, the 40th chapter. God gives power to the weak. Are you weak? Are you strong? Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who has created these things that brings out their host by number? He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one fails. We gave a report some time ago about the Australian study that showed that counted a portion of the universe, and they counted it was uh, 70 sextillion stars. But they had to admit they, they really didn't count them all, uh, that it might actually be an infinite number. And God knows all of them by name, by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might, and that he is strong in power. Not one fails. Again, God maintains the universe. Why say you, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the eternal, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the eternal, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint, or he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. I hope that's encouraging to all of you. God gives power to the faint. He gives power to the weak. If you're ever in that condition, think of this verse. Think of the universe. Think of Christ's power in sustaining all the myriads of stars and astro bodies. So that's the kind of spirit and power God has, and he wants to share that with you. And that same spirit that you have is also the spirit of the resurrection. Let's turn to John, the 11th chapter. John 11. As Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, but he is also the life and the resurrection. That's John, the 11th chapter, starting with verse 22. John 11, verse 22. Remember, Lazarus had died and was in the tomb four days already, and Jesus came to Bethany, and they were all crying and said, well, if Jesus had been there, he wouldn't have died. Verse 22, But I know that even now whatsoever you will ask of God, says Martha, God will give it to you. Jesus said, Your brother shall rise again. And Martha says unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Christ is the resurrection and the life. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So Christ is the resurrection and the life. Let's just turn over to Matthew 22 to just see, again, the power of the resurrection. Remember the 
Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and they tried to give Jesus a trick question when this woman who had uh, uh, a husband died, and then she, according to the law, would marry the next brother, and then on he died, and then she married the next brother. And so who, whose husband is going to, which man is going to be her husband in the resurrection? Because they thought they had Jesus really tricked here. Matthew 22 and uh, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. They erred not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. You have the power of God. And it also gives us hope and faith for the future because in 2005 we had the tragedy in Brookfield and even throughout the year we had other members and ministers who died. And over the past several years, faithful ministers have died. September 25th, 1997, Mr. Sid Hegvold Faithful minister died at age 79. November 15, 1998, Mr. Colin Adair, age 61. John, uh, June 15, 2000, Donald Contardi, age 63. September 7, 2000, Roquel Ralda, age 66, an elder serving in Guatemala, died. November 13, 2000, Salt Bay Bay, age 75 an elder serving in Myanmar. April 9th, 2002, Mr. Donald Turk in uh, Palm Springs, age 77, a local elder. November 27th, 2003, in the Los Angeles area, Raul Reyes, age 54. February 12th, 2004, Tex Benitez, age 68, elder serving in the Philippines. March 20th, March 30th, 2004, Gorgonio de Guia, age 66, elder serving in the Philippines. Mr. de Guia was here for that general conference that year, and uh, we were happy to see him. And shortly after he went back to the Philippines, he died at age 66. April 14, 2004, Mr. Carl McNair, age 66. September 25, 2004, Dr. Lynn Torrance, age 87. March 12, 2005, Mr. Randy Gregory, age 51, the Brookfield tragedy. May 27, 2005, Mr. Walter Warrington, age 84. June 14, 2005, John O'Gwynn, age 56. July 24, 2005, C.B. Short, age 75. August 19, 2005, David Burson, age 54. Turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Again, we have that hope, we have that encouragement, we have that guarantee, the promise of the resurrection. As Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 13. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. As I said two weeks ago, what better commentary could be given to anyone of God's people, ministers and brethren, could it be said of you, he or she died in the faith. They died in faith. Hebrews 11, verse 13. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of the resurrection. And we look forward to the trumpet sounding. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, For the trumpet will sound, <clears throat> and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Let's turn to... Uh, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. So as God has given us the spirit of creation, the spirit of power, the spirit of his spirit is the spirit of the resurrection, but it's also the spirit of love. 2 Peter 1 in verse 3 according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. Uh, if any of us complain that we don't have something, uh, God says he'll provide our every need. Uh, Philippians 4.19, My God shall provide your need, all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But here he tells us he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How is that? That's through his spirit. That's the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. We already saw that in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. William Ewart Gladstone once stated, quote, we look forward to the time when the power of love will replace the love of power. We look forward to the time when the power of love will replace the love of power. Then will our world know the blessings of peace. Of course, that will happen when the King of Kings returns and the saints are transformed and assist him and teach the world the way to love and the way to peace. Dr. Douglas Winnale in uh, the January 6th weekly update was continuing the whole theme of self-examination and overcoming and producing for 2006. He wrote, the primary quality. What is the most important quality that you and I must develop if we hope to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? When Jesus was asked a similar question, he said we must learn to love God with all our heart and love our neighbors as ourselves. The Bible states that God is love, and that godly love is patient, positive, kind, consistent, and never fails. It does not envy others, and it does not promote itself, 1 Corinthians 13. This kind of love is evident in the lives of those who are nourishing, exercising, and willing to be led by God's Spirit, because these are the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 22, verse Chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. How many of you, by the way, have read or at least uh, seen and paged through the book of Benjamin Franklin's autobiography? Can I see your hands? Okay, about uh, a few of you. 
It was one of the popular books that Mr. Armstrong encouraged us to read back in Ambassador College in the 60s and uh, in the 70s. Dr. Douglas Rennell writes, Ben Franklin devised a plan to improve his character by focusing on one quality each week of the year. What would happen if we spent a week several times a year looking for ways to show more love for God and for our neighbors? So that's the encouragement from the Director of Church Administration. Now, sometimes John 3.16 is devalued because you see it put behind the goal line at football stadiums and and you see it around, and sometimes it loses its punch, perhaps, for some of us. But let's look at it, John 3.16, the golden verse of the Bible. It's uh, very profound and very deep and very true. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. We have to remember that he loved the cosmos. He didn't love the evil deeds of people, but he loved the people and gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's the kind of God, the love that God has. It's an unconditional love. God has commandments, and people are going to reap what they sow, as he brings out in Galatians, the sixth chapter. But let's understand that God has that kind of love for you. He gave Jesus gave the story of the prodigal son who just wasted all his inheritance. And yet he repented, came back, and was accepted. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's part of our mission, to witness to the world and to help those whom God is calling to be saved. And that leads to the next element of God's power and spirit, and that's the spirit of salvation. Let's turn to Romans, the first chapter. Romans 1. <clears throat> How powerful is the gospel? Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the apostle Paul writes, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The good news that Christ brings is called the gospel of Christ here. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, we know that. But it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or as the Moffat translation says, For I am proud of the gospel. It is God's saving power for everyone who has faith. The NIV has, it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. So are you feeling down? Are you feeling lost? Ask God to save you. I have, many times, and we don't emphasize, we actually discourage what we would call selfish salvation because we want the world to be warned so that they can be saved. And we preach the gospel so that those whom God calls can be converted and ultimately be in the kingdom of God. Let's turn back to Psalm 6. I've looked at this so many, many times when I've felt down and realized, look, 
You can't save yourself. Well, <laughs> Peter did say, save yourselves from this untoward generation. He said there on the day of Pentecost. But Christ is your Savior. And David felt down at times. Psalm 6. Here's what David said in verse 4. Return, O Eternal, deliver my soul, O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave. Who shall give you thanks? You know, I've kidded you before, challenged you before. If you want to ask God to save you, then what for? Why should God save you? Well, David gave a convincing answer. Because he's saying, look, if I'm dead, God, you're not going to hear me giving you thanks and praise. Therefore, one good reason is to keep me alive so I can praise you and give you thanks. And when you read in First Peter that we are a spiritual priesthood to offer up spiritual thanks and sacrifices, we should be doing that as, as David did. Hebrews 7, verse 24, again, one of those wonderful promises that we have. When I've asked God to save me from my discouragement or my weaknesses, whatever it may be, he intervenes. Because he is, a, that is, Christ is a great high priest, as we know from Hebrews 4, who has passed through the heavens and were to come boldly before the throne of grace. As he tells us in Hebrews 4.16, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Then Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore he, that is, Christ, is able to save them to the uttermost, or to forevermore, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. We need to trust Christ as our high priest and as our Savior. We are weak human beings, and the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Turn back to 2 Corinthians the 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, verse, starting with verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, he had had these visions that God had given him. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So God keeps us humble. Uh, but it's better if we humble ourselves. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Are you weak? Most gladly, therefore, Paul says and writes, Will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I think of this often. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So are you weak? Trust in Christ's power, and you will be strong. In the January-February Living Church News coming up, that is the 2006 issue, it's not... Uh, published and uh, circulated yet. But Mr. Meredith writes, certain in a subject called Satan's devices, he writes, certainly Satan will go after those who are most effectively doing the work. 
for they represent the greatest threat to him and to his demons. The devil can easily see that these people are directly preparing to become kings and priests in God's kingdom. They are learning and practicing the correct form of church government and are learning to exercise living faith in Christ as their real leader. They are daily and hourly putting their trust in Christ to guide the church, guide the work, and guide the life of each faithful Christian. It is these people who genuinely trust in Christ, these people who will be the spirit-led kings and priests in Christ's soon-coming government, against whom Satan will most viciously attack. He writes later, We must focus our minds on the reality of God as our Creator, our Father, and the living head of the Church of God. By genuinely studying His Word, constantly praying and communing with Him, meditating on His law, His will, and His purpose, and by fasting, before, by fasting before Him regularly and going all out to truly seek Him, we will win the spiritual battle in the end. If we do our part faithfully, we can remember Mr. Armstrong's encouraging words, in the end we win. So this coming year, we need to exercise vision. We need to look forward to the kingdom. We need to stay close to God, and He promises that He will stay close to us. As we trust in God's power, let's look at another confirmation here in Romans, the 8th chapter, and verse 31. Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we say to these things? And the 8th chapter is just a glorious chapter, the Holy Spirit chapter here in Romans. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So nothing can prevent you from being in the kingdom of God except you. So we have that comforting promise of God that if we are close to Him, He will be close to us. So what will be your goals for 2006? In 2006, we will face challenges and trials as we did in 2005. Albert Hubbard... <clears throat> wrote 1,001 epigrams, 1911, and he was a friend of or Mr. Armstrong visited him at one time. Uh, you can read about that in the autobiography. <clears throat> Albert Hubbard was quite a writer. This is what he wrote on this subject. Quote, God will not look you over for medals, degrees, or diplomas, but for scars. Remember, of course, it says in uh, First Peter that we join in with the very sufferings of Christ. We share in those sufferings. The sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It says right over here in the page in Romans 8 and verse 18. So we may suffer pain and problems in 2006, but we must set goals and go forward in faith. I shared with you some of the resolutions that were made earlier. I and share with you another of uh, Calvin and Hobbes here. Uh, this is December 25th, 1994. And Calvin and Hobbes are walking through the snow, as usual, and Calvin says, I'm getting disillusioned with these new years. They don't seem very new at all. Each new year is just like an old year. Here another year has gone by and everything still, everything's still the same. There's still pollution and war 
and stupidity and greed. Things haven't changed. I say, what kind of a future is this? I thought things were supposed to improve. I thought the future was supposed to be better. They continue walking through the snow, and Hobbes finishes the discussion with a philosophical statement. The problem, that is Hobbes the tiger, the problem with the future is that it keeps turning into the present. So, you know, it's, it's sad when you have, but it's a commentary on the philosophy and the approach of the world. They don't know about the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And they don't have that hope of the resurrection and looking forward to it. Dr. Douglas Winnell encouraged us to make a list of projects, of areas of overcoming that we needed to work on and to make some changes in our lives. So what are you going to change in this coming year? I hope that you'll ed continue your education, whatever kind of education or hobby it may be, whether it's in a technical field or whether it's in home economics or some other field, to actually work on it and to grow and to make some changes and to, to uh, produce. Some of the uh, new school courses, I would not necessarily recommend them, but just to give you a, a sample of what is going on in the academic world, some educators dispute format value. Headline freshman seminars, huge trend. Uh, small, sophisticated programs help colleges recruit, retain students. New London, Connecticut, where I was born. For first-year students, they are kicking around some heady questions. Is there such a thing as absolute mathematical truth? Can a perfect circle exist? If two plus, what if 2 plus 2 didn't equal 4? The Connecticut College Freshman Seminar, like those at other schools, is built around an interdisciplinary topic. In this case, it's infinity, with readings from mathematicians, philosophers, and poets. Uh, some other courses at other universities uh, for freshman seminar programs. What it is is just trying to appeal to their generation so they can be excited about learning. One course is Microbes Got Game, Epidemics and Pandemics. That's Occidental College. Then Beloit College is a course entitled Hell No, We Won't Go, Ritual Chant in a Modern World. Harvard University, Chess and Mathematics, um, College of Worcester, Just for the Hell of It, The Seven Deadly Sins in Literature and Music, and then Smith College, Sherlock Holmes and the Scientific Method, and then University of Southern California, Beer and Belly Rings, Facts and Fictions About Today's Youth. Well, that really gets them excited about knowledge and education and understanding, but you know, God wants us always to be learning something of value because we have, he's given us mind power to do that. So what will be your goals this coming year? We need to grow in godly character. As uh, Bernard Baruch in his book, My Own Story, written around 1957, stated, quote, during my 87 years, I have witnessed a whole succession of technological revolutions, but none of them has done away with the need for character in the individual and or the ability to think.
So again, we need that overview that God is creating in us his perfect, righteous, godly character. And we need to think godly thoughts, to think his way. Here are just some suggested goals. You've heard them before, but how about reading the first five books of the Bible over the next month or the next three months? What about reading the first five books of the New Testament over the next month? How about setting a goal for one day in the next month or two of fasting? Have you even fasted since the Day of Atonement? Have you even fasted a full 24 hours since the Day of Atonement? Of course, there are those who have physical problems, and we're not judging anyone along that line, but you need to judge yourself, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11.31. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Jesus said, my disciples will fast. You see, when you begin to start getting Laodicean or you, you don't prod yourself, you're not using the spiritual tools that God has given you, you may be deceiving yourself. And you have to go after it. You have to go after the kingdom. He said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. And one of those tools is fasting. I want to share with you an incident uh, in Thailand. You, some of you are aware of it, some of you are not, where our brethren in Thailand were working in uh, an industry, but that industry would only let them off work only every uh, twice a month or so. And they'd still have to work basically seven days a week. And so <clears throat> Memfo Saw sent this uh, update to Mr. Tyler, dated January 1st, 2006, Sir, God has opened the door for our faithful brethren who have been facing with difficulties of keeping weekly Sabbath for several weeks in late November and early December. After brethren were keeping fast on the Sabbath, they fasted apparently several Sabbaths, for several times by constantly asking God for His mercy according to the multitude of His tender mercy to blot out our transgression. All brethren become strong-minded God's people more than before. Yesterday after the sun set of the Sabbath, I, that is Memphosaw and his wife, Few Few A, and five baptized members were given a special opportunity of meeting with the board members of this company. I won't mention the company's name. Three people from a labor association and two village authorities attended the meeting with us. First of all, Memphosaw, writes, I distribute a few Tomorrow's World magazines, Living Church News, Official Statement of Fundamental Beliefs, and God's Annual Holy Days Calendar to the attendants. A sales manager asked me for a DVD sermon disc, and I gave him one. I briefly explained to them the tradition of our church and continued to explain about the Ten Commandments, God's Holy Days, and the, living da uh, the daily living status obligations of our brethren in this area. I also requested them to appreciate our difficulties and hardships for keeping the Sabbath and other holy days. I have had to answer a number of small questions, particularly about Christmas and about Sunday worshiping denominations. I properly explained to them in both Thai and Burmese answers for their questions. He answered in both the Burmese language and the Thai language. All attendants were very much interested when I showed them our website on our office computer, on their office computer. The managing director of the company was amazed 
when he saw hundreds of our congregations all around the world in our broadband telecast networks. As a result, the company allowed our members to rest on every Saturday for the Sabbath and others' holy days. As a special offering, the managing director has provided our five baptized members one traveling bag per person to attend the coming Feast of Tabernacles this coming fall. Five baptized members and four prospective youth members are working at the company. We thank God for his merciful blessing. We never forget God's promise to Joshua. Joshua 1, verses 5 through 7. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my service commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Yours faithfully, Mem. That's from Memphosaw in Thailand. So the brethren fasted. They were in a predicament. Their source of income for some of the membership there was at this factory, and they were just working seven days a week, but they fasted. And God gave them deliverance. So I hope, brethren, that if you have not done that, that you will test yourself, you'll examine yourself, and consider fasting for a full 24 hours sometime if you have not done that since the Day of Atonement. So what else can you commit yourself for this coming year? To be more bold in the faith, share your faith with others, to sow seeds to the kingdom. As Memfo saw, we introduced to the company of the Tomorrow's World magazine. And apply Acts 20.35 about giving. And also, brethren, I would encourage all of you, and I've, we've emphasized this in sermons before, and that is to commit yourself to have a repentant attitude. I received a letter <clears throat> or card from an uh, individual who wanted to ch cheer me up and uh, thought when the individual talked with me, I was pretty stressed out. I didn't think I was, but she said, you look totally stressed out. I, <clears throat> anyway, this individual says um, she thought she might be a burden to the ministry, and I'm truly sorry. God has answered. I could not, by the way, no one around this area, by the way. <laughs> God has answered. I could not figure out why my life was so bad. I was deceived. God has given me repentance. I was doing six of the seven things that God hates and then wondering why things were crazy. God has opened up my mind as never before, explanation point, explanation point. Real miracles have happened to me since the feast, five explanation points. My husband is baffled. I am, I am not, and I am sure you won't be, because with God, all things are possible. I no longer want, no longer want to live in the past. I do not want to revisit the insanity any longer, parentheses, only when I need to make amends, parentheses closed, Space will not permit me to tell you all of the miracles that are taking place, but be assured God didn't intervene, and I appreciate all of your prayers. Hope you are feeling less stressed. And uh, P.S., I pray for the ministry on a daily basis, and you have my support. A very, very encouraging letter, but this is a key 
to all of our conversion that we must be committed to the return of Christ to be teachable, to be humble, and to be repentant. So I want to encourage you to set those goals. We read Proverbs 21.5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those every, of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So think over the past year, has God worked any miracles in your life? If he has, thank him for it. And thank him every day for life. Thank him for his blessings and his mercies and forgiveness. Let's turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 praises God for his power, his greatness, and his intervention. Psalm 145. Starting with verse 8. The eternal is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The eternal is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All his works shall praise you. All your works shall praise you, O eternal, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I hope that we'll talk about God's power and, of course, of his miracles. We look forward to his kingdom as an everlasting kingdom. God has called us to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. We are going to pr perform that mission, but not on our own strength. We have a little strength, as Jesus said in Revelation 3. But it's Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, that is human power, but by my spirit. As Moffat says, not by fighting, not by force, but by my spirit, so the Lord of hosts declares. God has given us spiritual power to fulfill his work and to fulfill his will. We still need God's guidance continually throughout 2006. As Mr. Armstrong wrote, the all-important seventh law, is having contact with and guidance and continuous help of God. So, brethren, in 2006, let's trust God's power to work with us and through us, and let's use the power of example. Let's use the power of prayer so that God's Spirit will flow out from us in rivers of living water. God will give us, as we walk with Him, the power to overcome the power to be successful, the power to grow in spiritual maturity, the power to become more like Christ, and the power to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So, brethren, trust God's power. And remember again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.